I don't think we've talked about it at all during the month of August, which is maybe a bit weird, but it's been two weeks since the closing ceremony of this year's Summer Olympics, which was a pretty awesome thing. Now, maybe it doesn't surprise me too much that we haven't done a lot of talking about it. If the North American television ratings are any indication, none of us were watching or talking about it anyway, but I, I don't care. I didn't watch a lot of the Olympics this year, but I still love the Olympics. I love that every four years, the world kind of gathers together and gets to witness the absolute peak of athletic performance among human beings. Like this is the body pushed to its limit and we get to experience the excitement of, you know, human beings covering 100 meters on foot in less than 10 seconds. It's amazing. It's glorious to watch. Um, and yet this year, I kind of was thinking about the fact that that 10 seconds that we all think of as like the 100 meter dash is actually by far not where the event takes place. 100 meter dash doesn't take 10 seconds. The 100 meter dash takes four years. The 100 meter dash takes a lifetime of training and sacrifice on behalf of these athletes. We don't get to see that part. We watch the 10 seconds of glory, but we don't, we don't get to see the 25 years of sacrificing time, 25 to 45 hours a week in training, time that you won't spend with your friends, time that you won't spend going out, time that you can't spend at work, the financial sacrifice of just devoting all of this time, never mind recovery time and exhaustion time and early bedtime, just the sacrifice of time, the, the sacrifice of finance. All those hours are hours you're not working and making money, but at the same time, you're purchasing equipment and paying for club memberships and paying for competitions and travel. The, the social sacrifice of not being with your friends because you have to work out, you have to sleep, you can't party because you got to watch what you're eating and what you're drinking and you, just all of the sacrifice, never mind the physical sacrifice, the injuries, the aches, the pains, the way that some of these bodies will be hobbled for the rest of their lives because of the limits to which they were pushed and the mental health sacrifice which probably none of us would have thought about until Simone Biles checked out of some of the championships because of her mental health. Just the work, the sacrifice, everything that goes into being an athlete at that elite level for decades of your life, just so that we can witness the glory of those 10 seconds. It's the sacrifice. That's where the event really happens. That's where the glory comes from. And the same thing is true in our life with God. Over the course of this month, we've been talking about what it's going to look like for us to be the church that God is inviting us to be when we fully reopen once all of this COVID nonsense is behind us. And we've been thinking about the kind of people that we need to be to be the church that God is inviting us to be. We talked about how we need to be people who live with open hearts, just fully committed to change being the only thing that doesn't change. Change being the norm. Every day getting up to die to the person that we used to be so that we could be raised up by God as somebody who looks more like Jesus. 
Two weeks ago, we talked about being people of open minds, being open-minded, being unafraid of hearing new ideas and thinking new thoughts and learning new things and therefore growing in our depth of understanding of who God is and the life that God has invited us into. If we're not prepared to do that, we're saying that we already understand God in all of his depth, which is just nonsensical. We talked last week, Nate talked to us about being people who live with open arms and who live um, welcoming and embracing a diversity of community, a diversity of people in all of our various brokennesses, because it is only as God brings together these diverse, broken fragments that together we get to see the image of Jesus. And then today... In week four, we want to talk about what it looks like to live with open lives. In other words, what it looks like to live lives of faith in which we give God our everything. I want us to look at uh, Luke chapter nine, starting in verse 57, to see three interactions that Jesus has with, with different people who are interested in following him because there's something about Jesus that they want in on. And yet in each of the three instances, these guys haven't fully thought through the radical implications of what it means to follow Jesus. In Luke 9, 57, it says, as Jesus and his disciples traveled along the road, Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus replied, foxes have dens and the birds in the sky have nests, but the human one has no place to lay his head. Jesus says, I get that you you would love to be my follower. Here's what you need to think through first, is that you would be following a Messiah that is penniless and homeless. And you are coming into that reality with me. That being a follower of Jesus is going to have radical implications on our financial well-being. I actually wonder whether Jesus is saying something even deeper than that. Because on the lips of Jesus, foxes is often used symbolically to represent the Jewish political leadership. And birds of the air is often used symbolically to represent the Roman political leadership in Israel. And it's almost as though Jesus is saying, if you align yourself with me, you're going to suddenly discover that you don't fit in anymore with the political ideologies on offer in the day, you, you won't find, you won't have a political home anymore. As a second guy it says in verse 59, Jesus said to someone else, follow me. And the man replied, Lord, first, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of God's kingdom. Now you have to understand that when this guy says, let me bury my father, his dad is not dead. His dad is not on his deathbed. His dad is not on life support. He's not even sick. When he says, let me bury my father, what he's saying is, before I follow you, Jesus, let me fulfill my communal expectation that as the child of my parents, I would stick around and take care of my parents until they're gone before I choose to go off and do my own thing with my life. Jesus says, if... If you think that discipleship can wait until it's more convenient for you, until a more suitable time, or if you think discipleship can wait until the whole community will support your decision, you have another thing coming. The 
the implications are far more radical than that. Thirdly, verse 61, someone else said to Jesus, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to those in my house. And Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. The person says, let me say goodbye, by, what, by which he means, let me go ask my dad's permission to follow you. In the Middle East, even you know, traditional societies, even today, it is expected that even adult children, before making major life decisions, will go and ask permission of their dad to make sure that it's okay. And this guy is saying, Jesus, I want to follow you, but more important than your authority in my life is my dad's. I want to do what my dad says is okay, more than I want to do what you say. And Jesus says, so long as there are greater authorities and louder voices in your life than me, uh, you're just not ready to follow me. The, the implications for following Jesus are radical. And I think you and I know that because if you're anything like me, I live with this awareness that radically following Jesus has radical implications on my life. It demands radical sacrifice. It's going to change my financial situation. It's going to mean that I have to rethink my political convictions because Jesus doesn't agree with any political party. It's going to demand that I, that I not wait until a convenient, more suitable time, or I not wait until, you know, the whole, my whole community approves of my decisions. It's going to mean that I choose to put Jesus' voice ahead of everything else. And so I have this temptation all the time to kind of get into this negotiation with Jesus. Jesus, you have something I really want. And so I am going to give you some of me. I'll, I'll go to church on Sunday mornings. You know, I mean, one to two Sundays a year. Let's not get crazy. I'll, I'll, maybe, I'll attend a life group. Maybe I'll even throw some money in the offering bag when it comes by or, or transfer some money using the app. I'll give a little. But it's always... Jesus, I'm going to give you some of who I am because I'm not ready for the full radical sacrifice that following Jesus demands. It feels like if I really were serious about following Jesus, it would kind of mess up my life the way I like it. I was thinking about a Baptist pastor by the name of David Platt who wrote in a book called Radical about his own experience. He said, I couldn't help but think that somewhere along the way we had missed what is radical about our faith and replaced it with what is comfortable. We were settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves when the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. We try to build our faith in a way that allows us to be comfortable, that, that still caters to us. There's a story in, in John chapter 6 about how Jesus you know, was surrounded by a crowd of 5,000 men plus women and children out in the desert. And he, he fed them all miraculously with just five loaves of bread and two dried fish. 
And after feeding the people, Jesus left the place and the whole crowd, it says, follow Jesus. They were looking for Jesus. They wanted more of Jesus. And it says in John 6, 26, Jesus says to them, I assure you that you're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate all the food you wanted. Don't work for the food that doesn't last but for the food that endures for eternal life, which the human one will give you. Jesus says, listen, I, I think that for a lot of you, the only reason you're following me, you're following me for what you can get from me. You're treating me like a vending machine. If you put in your quarter and press the button, you're going to get what you want. And I think some of us, myself included, are tempted to imagine that I follow Jesus for what Jesus will do for me. That if I follow Jesus, that God is then somehow on the hook to give me, make sure I'm healthy and make sure I have money and a job and gives me the relationships that I wanted in a marriage and kids and all the things that would make me comfortable. Even in the way that we go about, you know, doing this faith thing together as a community. We attend Sunday mornings because we want an emotional pick-me-up. Or we attend life group because we want BFFs. Or we, you know, volunteer at the anchor cause in our location because we want to feel like we're a good person who's giving something back. We, we put our kids in the kids' programs because we want God to make sure that our kids turn out okay. It's all about what we hope God will do for us, that God will somehow bless our lives as a reward for how faithfully we're following Jesus. And I'm telling you, friends, that's not how any of this works. Following Jesus is not about what Jesus does for us. It is about our grateful response in what we do, how we live, the sacrifices we make for Jesus. I mean, you go read the <clears throat> stories in the New Testament about the disciples who really did follow Jesus, and they are wild stories. I mean, these people stopped at nothing. They, they quit their jobs. They abandoned their political ideologies. They climbed trees just to get a glimpse of Jesus as he walked by. They, four friends, tore open the roof of a home so they could lower their paralyzed buddy just to get some face time with Jesus. They would stop at nothing to be with Jesus. They were willing to risk everything. They, they risked their relationships with their community and their families, who, some of whom thought they were crazy. They went to jail. They risked their lives. Many of them lost their lives because they followed Jesus. For them, it wasn't about what Jesus was going, the way that Jesus was going to give them a comfortable life or cater to them. In fact, in John chapter 6, that story where the whole crowd leaves Jesus, Jesus turns to his 12 disciples. He says, what about you? Are you going to leave me too? And Peter replied, Master, to whom would we go? You have the words of real life, eternal life. You have the thing that we want. We're not going anywhere. What we want is the life of God lived out in relationship with you. That is literally <clears throat> to Peter. The only thing that matters. That's the discipleship we're called to in the New Testament. 
To follow Jesus is a life of radical sacrifice in grateful response to what Jesus has already done for us. In Romans chapter 12, the apostle Paul writes this. He goes, so here's what I want you to do as followers of Jesus. God helping you because it takes God's help by the Holy Spirit. He said, I want you to take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you through Jesus is the best thing you can do for God. So don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Don't go after comfort and being catered to like culture. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what God wants from you and quickly respond to it. For the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, where Paul writes this at the beginning of chapter 12, the first 11 chapters is Paul simply describing the gospel, the good news about what God has done for us in Jesus by the Holy Spirit. He talks about, you know, our sinfulness, our rebellion, our resistance to God, and how God responded to that with with God's forgiving and freeing and filling love, a love that adopts us and endures for all time through every circumstance, no matter what. And after 11 chapters of talking about all this amazing stuff that God has done for us in Christ by the Spirit, Paul says, so here's now what I want you to do. I want you to give your everything, your everyday life. You're walking around, going to sleep, waking up, going to work, being a family. All of your life, I want you to sacrifice it like an offering back to God. Don't just go to church. Live 24 hours a day, seven days a week, asking yourself the question of how your life can become an act of worship, how you can spend every moment of every day loving God and loving people. Don't just go to life group. Fill every relationship in your life with the life and love of Jesus, even directed towards your enemies so that you are loving everyone the way Jesus loves you. Don't just volunteer for a shift at the anchor cause in your location. Choose to live day after day in the solidarity of friendship with the forgotten and the ignored. To be and to receive the love of God through unlikely friendships. Sacrifice your time. Often we, not often, we always make time for the things that we prioritize. If you were to look at your calendar today, um, what would it say about the priority that God takes, that your life with Jesus takes? How, How can we make time for the most important thing in our life? Oftentimes, it doesn't even uh, mean that we do different things. It just means that we do things differently. We, we fill all of our activities with a love for God and a love for people. Sacrifice not just your time, but your talents. With every ounce of energy and effort, with all of your gifts and abilities, in whatever you pour yourself into, in your work, in your school, in your family, in your hobbies, in your volunteering, in everything you do, be asking yourself, how can the God's kingdom of love come in and through me in this moment by the Holy Spirit? Sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasures. Don't 
store up on earth treasures or store up for yourself treasures on earth, as Jesus says, as though wealth counts for anything. It's nothing. Instead, ask how every penny and every possession can be utilized to radiate the love of God into the world. Because friends, that's what Jesus did for you. Christ, who is the eternal God, stepped out of eternity and stepped into time and history and folded his divinity into our humanity to become one of us for us. He sacrificed the glory of eternity. Once Jesus was a human being, he sacrificed his entire life, pouring every ounce of his strength and energy and effort into seeing God's kingdom of love coming on earth just as it is in heaven for you and for me. Jesus sacrificed the thing that he treasured the most, his own life through his death on the cross and his resurrection so that Jesus could receive something of even greater value. You and me and creation reconciled back to God in love. That's what Jesus did. Jesus gave his everything for us. So as Paul says, here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Give your everything back to God. In the early 50s, about 20 years after Jesus died, the Apostle Paul was living in the city of Corinth right as the city of Corinth was hosting the second most important athletic competition in the ancient world, the Isthmian Games. Only the ancient Olympics were bigger. And it got Paul thinking about his, what it means to live with Jesus. And years later, he would write back to the Corinthian church and he would say, listen, all the runners run, but only one gets the glory. So run in such a way as to get the glory. And how do you run to get the glory? Paul says, beat your body, go through the training, enter the discipline, embrace the sacrifice of what it means to live the kind of life day after day, year after year, that translates into the glory and the beauty of God's embrace. God in Christ gave you God's everything. So here's what I want you to do. Give your everything back to God. Let's pray. I'm going to pray a prayer written by a guy named Ignatius who said, Receive, O Lord, all of my freedom, all of my life, my understanding, and all of my will, all that I have and possess. You, Lord, have given that all to me, and I now give it back to you. All of it is yours. Do with it whatever you want. Just give me your love and your grace, for that is enough for me. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.